for another edition of Vegas Nation podcast brought to you by your local Southern Nevada Toyota dealer. I'm your host, Heidi Fang, joined today with Raiders writer Gilbert Manzano, as well as our Raiders beat writer, Michael Gelkin. And Michael and I here in London for the Raiders against the Seahawks. That game happening at Wembley Stadium coming up Sunday, 10 a.m. local time for Las Vegas. If you want to catch the game, uh, it will be a fun one. Last time readers were here, they played the Miami Dolphins. This time, the Seahawks and two teams with a lot of history between them. Obviously, Marshawn Lynch coming over to the Raiders, a former Seahawk. You have guys like Shalom Lawani and obviously Sebastian Janikowski, who is a longtime reader that's now over with the Seahawks and uh, also one of the guards as well. So you, you have some people now that are starting to mesh again on the field. And it'll be interesting to see them now on opposing teams, especially uh, when you have someone who was a longtime Seahawk like Marshawn and someone who was a longtime Raider like Janikowski. Uh, Michael, has there been much talk about these two and the different players that are now coming back together, meeting uh, again on the on the Wembley field on the excuse me on Wembley Stadium? Uh, is there any talk about that going on in the locker room? Definitely has been, in particular with Marshawn. Lynch, what he meant to, to Seattle, obviously the Super Bowl appearances, Super Bowl title. Uh, you know, while guys like you know Bruce Irvin over there is part of that team as well. Uh, you just what Marshawn Lynch meant to not only the Seahawks organization but Seattle as a whole. He personified a lot of what that Seattle team, uh, kind of the dynasty that never was, uh, but you know they were Super Bowl champions. Uh, what that team was about, uh, the attitude, the physicality, just the overall swagger, and also the, the character. Uh, you know, Marshawn Lynch, you hear Raiders teammates talk about him. You hear former Seahawks teammates talk about him. And just the respect uh, about how giving he is, not only to teammates, but to the community. Uh, he certainly earned uh, a lot of just you know respect among his peers, and you can sense that this week with both teams talking about the same player. Absolutely, and you bring up that a lot of the people are talking about Marshawn Lynch. On your Twitter, I saw that you retweeted something from Brady Henderson, uh, who says that Doug Baldwin was talking about Marshawn Lynch. The tweet actually says that uh, there was this story he told about a young wide receiver who told Lynch he liked his backpack, so Lynch took it off, emptied it out, and gave it to him on the spot. Asked which wide receiver it was, Baldwin said it was him. I find that kind of story to be a very unique one and something that you wouldn't think a guy would just do on the spot, just hand over something. So obviously, like you said, very beloved in that locker room. Gilbert, from your point of view uh, with Marshawn going back, if you look at just statistically the struggles that other teams have had offensively at Wembley Stadium, running the football, making the offense click. Uh, and plus, Marshawn's coming into this with several injuries, uh, one of them mainly being this hip that's held him out of practice. Uh, you have to wonder, is he going to struggle here or is he going to flourish against his old team? What do you think, Gilbert? Yeah, these uh, London games are kind of tricky. You never know what, what you're going to expect. You can't even look at the the betting lines and the totals because you usually want to go with the under, but it's, it's such a fluky game. Uh 
uh, the, the travel is such a grind, especially two West Coast teams going all the way to the other side uh, in the UK. It's not it's not New York time zone or Eastern time zone. These are guys, these are two teams going eight hour difference. The Raiders are taking their time going there. I don't even think they're, they're there while, while we're recording this uh, this podcast. But yeah, you don't know where Marshawn Lynch. I do expect him to get a bigger workload because a week ago he only got nine carries. That's not what you want to see from your workhorse. Uh, especially this being Marshawn's, uh, I don't want to call it a, re- a revenge game, but uh, going against his former team, I'm sure John Gray want to, wants to get Marshawn Lynch more involved. And especially when a, when a game where usually you don't expect a lot of fireworks, you want the running game to you know help you out. Uh, the Seahawks are finally getting a running game established. It seems like for for three years they couldn't figure out what to do with the Marshawn Lynch uh, void. But they got Chris Carson, Mike Davis. They're kind of a good one-two tandem, but. If Marshawn is a little banged up and he's not ready to go, do you start giving more carries to Jalen Richard, who, when it comes to the to the passing game, he's been pretty productive. So we'll see about that. And one thing to, talk, to touch up on the Marshawn thing, it's a such it's such a brand. It feels like a brand new team in Seattle. Outside of Russell Wilson and Doug Baldwin and Bobby Wagner, it's a brand new team. So a lot of these guys are gonna be trying to tackle Marshawn. They're new faces. They probably have never gone against uh, Marshawn Lynch before. Right, definitely so. And you bring up the running game. You also can't forget we got Doug Martin in the mix as well. That's right. And he's another guy that they can bring in for a one-two-three punch when Jalen Richard needs a spell or when Marshawn Lynch needs to sit out because he's really the workhorse. I feel like, but these three guys work very well together as a trio. So Doug Martin also a factor, I think. But uh, you touched on something, Gilbert, that I wanted to bring up because you say the Raiders are just going to leave on Friday. Well, that's interesting to me that they would wait that long because yeah. of the acclimation, the time difference, getting adjusted to, again, practicing on that field. The pitch in Wembley is very different from the NFL fields that they're used to playing on. And you already have the Seahawks here. In fact, Michael, you were at the practice watching the Seahawks uh, today in London. How did that go? And what did you take away from what you were able to see at the practice? Well, first of all, it was a very expensive Uber ride. It cost me, I think, 70 pounds to Whoa. go like an hour north of London. What's that in dollars? So, 70 pounds. So it's like... 130, I, 125 dollars. Oh I, I think it's like 90, whatever it is. It's. Uh, I hope uh, Hope the expense team at the Las Vegas Review Journal forgives me. Uh, it's probably it's probably the best route because me driving on the left side of the road probably wasn't going to end well either. <laughs> Um, so I'm, I'm here actually still at the, at the team hotel, uh, again, just outside of London. And it was interesting just to see the Raiders, you know, not a team, not the Raiders practicing where, you know, you have the Seahawks here and they just got to England about three hours before they hit the practice field. Pete Carroll thought that this would be an effective way, just keeping his guys awake, keeping them engaged. And then obviously, you know, guys are going to be a bit exhausted. And so, um, you know, kind of a, early evening uh, for the team in this very quiet part of you know of of england and so this was interesting to hear pete carroll and to hear shakim and shaquille the brother tandem on defense uh, talking about uh, just the trip uh, definitely it seemed to go well if you were to ask carroll he, he talked about the mercator route and i'm not an aviation expert but apparently <laughs> the team was able to make pretty good time here from seattle and Shaquem Griffin said he fell asleep shortly after the plane uh, took off and had to be told that it was landing. Uh, and then about six hours of sleep for, for his older brother. And so 
uh, the, t- the team took a, a private jet, so it wasn't their typical flight that they, or their typical plane that they would use to go from, say, Seattle to Oakland if this game was in the Bay Area. Uh, they took a, a private plane to ensure that their players were as comfortable as possible during a long journey. So it definitely sounds like you, you can just tell the effort that was put into it, the mindset of just being as prepared as possible and making the most of an eight-hour time difference so that it doesn't you, know, you acclimate as well as possible and it doesn't be, prove to be a hindrance going into Sunday. And obviously the Raiders are looking to do the same despite them leaving Oakland a little bit later. Yeah, for me, I think that's a bit of a mistake on the Raiders' part. I really do. I feel that it would have been more advantageous for them to get here sooner, especially when they have been struggling in so many different departments. And the offensive line with the struggle it has, Assemble has been very injured, and as well as Colton Miller, Brandon Parker, both of those rookie tackles have struggled with their injuries. So you're coming into this game with a very banged-up offensive line, and I just think that with Carr's recent struggles as well, the guy's looking at seven touchdowns right now with eight interceptions. He's really standing out, though, with how much he is passing the ball. But when it comes down to the ratio of touchdowns versus interceptions, that's something that he's just struggled with game to game to game, including the last game that they just had against the Chargers. So when you see something like that happening, for me, it's a little bewildering that they didn't come sooner to acclimate, to adjust, and to get on that pitch and to really practice on it. Uh, Gilbert, do you, I mean, do you feel like it's a mistake, or am I the only one here that feels like it, it, they should have come sooner? First of all, I got to say, I feel kind of left out. I'm here in Las Vegas, stuck with Larry Mir while you guys are out in the U.K. having fun. Uh, so it's a mistake for leaving me behind. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but for the Raiders uh, to get there until, what, Friday or leaving late tonight, Thursday, I think it's a mistake. You want to get adjusted, acclimated to you know this whole new world there in London. Uh, kind of get a feel. You don't want to be jet jet lagged. Uh, it's an eight hour difference. So yeah, I think John John Gruden is making a mistake. Um, I think he was saying something about he did his research or he doesn't like flying. Uh, I don't know what research he found to say that. Uh, but if he doesn't like flying, why not let your team go ahead without you a couple of days and then you go you go on your own later. I don't understand this thinking from John Gruden, but yeah, it could affect them. But we'll see. Sometimes you want to switch it up, and it works out to your benefit because these games in London, they they're never pretty. They're uh, ugly football. So who knows? Maybe John Gruden is up to something here. It's funny you mentioned that uh, out here in London, Ed Greeny and I, who's a Review Journal sports columnist, were out today, and we were talking to different people on the street in front of different uh, landmarks and things out here, and pretty much. Nobody really knows much about the NFL <laughs> except for they know the Jaguars. And when you say John Gruden, a lot of people out here go Chucky. So they know that. But when you talk about wow. Raider football, there's not a lot of anything really clicking for anyone except for they go, oh, they don't have Khalil Mack anymore. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> there were a few people who knew Khalil Mack, John Gruden. And they knew about the Jacksonville Jaguars. Outside of that, there was not a lot of interest for football. And in fact, my Uber driver, Michael, I too had a 70-pound Uber ride from the airport into the hotel here. (laughs) And my Uber driver lives near Wembley Stadium and had no idea that there was to be an NFL game there this weekend. And he said, oh, I'm glad I know now. I can make some money. So (laughs) you will maybe see my Uber driver out there at Wembley Stadium. But uh, aside from that, I haven't gathered that there's a lot of people who know about the NFL. 
from one of the fans that we met here in London today, he was saying that uh, basically for soccer fans out here, the NFL games run so long that they lose interest, that there's so many stops and starts with flags that they don't understand what's happening. So he said for him, it's a hard game to follow. Do you feel like that translates at all for some of the soccer fans that anything about the sport that you think By the way, Heidi, is it called football in the UK or is it American football? What do they call it? It's not because soccer over there is not soccer. Football. I'm saying soccer to differentiate, <laughs> yes. But yeah, out, the, out here, they have referred to soccer, as we call it, as football also, uh, for the most part. Also, just to add to you guys, uh, 70 pounds is $92.65. Well, <laughs> There you have it from Larry Mayer. 60, 70 pounds is $92. All Yikes. right. Yeah, so we were both there, Michael, and uh, we're going to have to have those expense reports looked at. But, hey, there's nothing we can do about it. We had to get from point A to point B. <laughs> so just for me, I'm not sure, though, that the game of American football is translating out here to the fans. Wow. Do you seem to feel that there's that type of separation between the sports for sports fans here in London? Have you felt that at all, Michael, since you've been here? I've sensed that as well. If this was a game from the United States where you had two world-class teams who play cricket or play true football in terms of soccer or who play rugby, I think it would be more of this energy around London because those are the sports this city knows. But because it's football, and I think that's part of the reason the NFL is doing this, it's about expansion. It's about having people in London become more familiar with the game. And so you're in this phase, and even though the NFL has now played in London for years, it's going to take some time before I think it's the sport really catches on as it could. So here we are. And is there electricity in London because the Raiders and, and Seahawks are, are going to be playing on Sunday? I cannot say that I feel that either. Uh, but still, the NFL believes this is a worthwhile venture for the future of the game to hold multiple games, three games this season here in the UK. Gilbert, you and I were in Mexico City last year with the Raiders, as was Michael, but I wanted to know, you went around town, you talked to a lot of people about the sport of football. Did you gather the sense that internationally or in Mexico that the sport was picking up? Not as much as I thought I was going to get, especially with the Raiders you know, being beloved by the Hispanic community. I thought there would be a lot more in Mexico City, but when I when I went talking to fans in Mexico, it was more tourists that were, were coming from uh, you know, the United States to follow the Raiders, or uh, you know people who used to live in the United States but now they're back in Mexico, so they knew about the sport. Uh, but there was a there was a good vibe there uh, that the Cowboys are beloved in in, in Mexico. Uh, I think uh, the Raiders are too. Uh, the Houston teams are the the Texas teams, so the Texans are also a, a, a good team to follow there, but. Yeah, it's not as much as I thought there would be, uh, but these two countries, uh, England and Mexico, it's it's going to be pro soccer, I think, forever. Uh, so I think that's the thing you got to compete with. And I think you were saying earlier, it's, it's just a, such a complicated sport, a long sport. It's kind of hard to follow. Maybe it's something you have to grow up with. But, you know, there is a, a type of movement there that the NFL feels like maybe uh, London and Mexico City could host franchises in the future, more like London because they have three games every year there, uh, one annually in Mexico City. So... I think in Mexico, well, I'm not I'm not in London, but I think Mexico, there was some type of buzz, but not as big as I thought there was going to be, especially with the Raiders being there. But you never know. Maybe if, if you get some better games in London and they're they're really, they're attractive and they're exciting, you might hook a, a, a fan base there. But I think they're kind of 
far from it, but the the Jaguars are kind of you know getting some traction there. So we'll see about that. But you know, so far they, it seems like they have some work to do to kind of go international. And one thing I will say about putting in the work, I think the NFL needs to advertise it a bit more because I went from landmark to landmark today. I went sightseeing. I saw Big Ben. I saw Parliament. I went out in front of the Queen's house. And then I even went to Piccadilly Circus and I did not see a single sign, a single mention of anything to do with the NFL. And even uh, when we were in Mexico City, we saw different streets that were lined with helmets that had a lot of fans. And at the different landmarks, there were fans gathering and having cheers and chants. And there were things going on. There were things happening. I haven't gathered that sense here. Hmm. Maybe I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time and it will happen. But I think that's something that we have yet to see here in London for the Raiders versus the Seahawks. But right now we're going to take a break here on the Vegas Nation and we're going to come back, talk some more about the Raiders season, see where they're at, see where they match up against the Seahawks and what would they need to do to get ahead in this game to finally get another W in that win column. So we'll be back here on the Vegas Nation podcast, sponsored by your local Southern Nevada Toyota dealer. Let's go be spontaneous. Let's go out of our comfort zone. Let's go make the most of it in the Toyota Corolla. Toyota, let's go places. Welcome back to the Vegas Nation podcast. I'm your host, Heidi Fang. Again, joined with Michael Gelkin, the Raiders beat writer, and Gilbert Manzano, our NFL writer, as well as doing some boxing writing for the Review Journal. Today, we are getting into all things Raiders here in London. They are playing again Wembley Stadium. From what I hear with Michael Gelkin on the line, that it is a sellout, 90,000 seats the stadium holds and a complete sellout. And here I was just saying how I don't think people know about this game, that my Uber driver didn't know it was happening, but yet here you are. It's a sellout, Michael. How tremendous is this for the organization, for the NFL, to have a sellout with Wembley Stadium and this London game against the Raiders and the Seahawks? And that's why that's where I think the NFL finds encouragement, is that although many in London still aren't fully grasping the league, and American football, and you know, I, I think whether you know the, the conversation as to whether an NFL team would ever be based in London, a lot of people here think that is a bad idea uh, for a number of reasons. But when you look at just the game itself, uh, there are there is enough interest to warrant certainly these games that are here, and I think that continuation of the series reflects the continuation of shown interest of building interest. It, might be slower than what we've seen, you know, in, uh, domestically in terms of how the NFL is embraced. But it took some time, even in, in America, for the NFL to really find its its rhythm in terms of it being such a critical part of American sports. So here we are in London, and I, I think we're right to point out both. We're right to point out the lack of electricity and the lack of seeming interest when you're just walking down the street. But in the same breath, the NFL finds enough interest to. Uh, be encouraged with overall this international series. Well, as we look forward to this game, the Raiders find themselves in a bit of a hole in the AFC West, to say the least. Again, a one and four record right now is the worst in the division. The Raiders losing again last week to the Chargers and a tough loss at that. I mean, they just struggled, it seemed, the entire way on all sides of the football. The pass rush wasn't there. They didn't have uh, anything really going on offense because 
three points was all that they scored. So I think when you, you look at that and Carr's recent struggles, especially when you have like this one yard play, they're on the goal line. It's a situation where you could run the football in, but yet Carr goes, throws the ball, it gets intercepted. So there's another interception to his count right now, which again stands at eight. So for Carr, his recent struggles have kind of been eyebrow raising for me. Uh, something that I'm wondering, like, how much is he either feeling pressured because of the line being in shambles or how much he's just trying to force throws in when they aren't there? Or is it maybe that he's not adapting very well to Gruden's offense? What do we think about the Raiders offense right now going into this game? And was that really the worst area that they're struggling the most with what is going on with this team? What's not clicking Gilbert. What do you take away from your initial read on everything happening with the Raiders? Yeah, that was the type of game against the Chargers where you just kind of forget about it. You burn the tape. It was just an ugly game overall. There was nothing positive from that game. Uh, the first four games, it seems like there was good first halves. The offense was getting yards. There was scoring points here and there. The defense didn't get a pass rush, but they had four takeaways a week ago. Uh, the secondary was kind of bend it but don't break kind of approach. And then it just all fell apart uh, in L.A. against the Chargers, an AFC West rival. You don't want to have that type of performance. It seemed like John Gruden was very disappointed. It was like a type of frustration. Where like, well, he's doing everything he can to coach these guys up with what he has. And it just didn't pan out. So I don't know if you should be alarmed. I know the record is ugly. It's one and four. But, you know, they have winnable games coming up against the Seahawks, the Colts, and the 49ers. I think this offense is still the offense we saw against the Browns where, they could, you know, they could move the ball. It's just, like you are mentioning, Heidi, it's just, you know, Derek Carr has to, you know, you know, stop the takeaways. But sometimes when you get aggressive and you're pushing the ball down the field, you're going to, you know, turn the ball over. But you can't do it in the red, in the red zone when you have points and you're going to leave points on the board and just a momentum killer. Uh, I think Martez Bryant had a big fumble that just killed that momentum of the Chargers game also. It wasn't like they got blown out a week ago. It's just a lot of turnovers, bad mistakes, uh, mental mistakes that I think could be fixed. But uh, Heidi, to answer your question, I think this Raiders defense will bounce back uh, much better offensively. The defense I'm getting worried about, um, it's already, what, uh, week six, and Paul Gunther's uh, defense has had one you know good outing. You don't know what's going on with Gary on Conley in the secondary the linebackers aren't doing much. You're not getting any pass rush. So we'll see how the game plays out. And you, you got to face Russell Wilson, who can make a lot of happen when things uh, break in the pocket. And again, the final score on that game last week was 26 for the Chargers, 10 for the Raiders. I previously had said three, so wanted to make the record correct. But in this five games, we have, again, seen a lot of struggles out of the Raiders. My, uh, Michael, you're in there day-to-day looking at what the team is going through, listening to the woes in the locker room, listening to maybe motivational speeches from different players, trying to get this train chugging down the track. Uh, in five games, what is the biggest hope right now for this team? What are they looking at in terms of postseason? Or is that even something that they're still focused on trying to get to? Or is it just trying to make things click for this season? Yeah, I don't hear postseason talk, which isn't to say that's not the Raiders' goal. Of course it is, but they know they have a lot to clean up. And it really is both sides of the football. The Raiders defensively have forced one takeaway total in their four losses. And in their one win, they forced four takeaways. When you're not turning over the football defensively and you're leaving, you're effectively, you're, re- you're leaving your Raiders' offense in 
thus far four or five games where they're having to drive nearly 80 yards to get to the end zone. And when you're putting your offense in that sort of a bind and you have an offensive line, you're so banged up at left tackle and at left guard and at right guard and at center, and you have a rookie third-round pick at right tackle – is Derek Hart pressing? Absolutely, he is. And it's easy to say Derek Hart shouldn't be pressing because you look at that first and goal interception and it was atrocious. Uh, I think you can say that objectively. It's a throw that Derek Hart cannot make, even if you believe in the play call. You believe that that is an astute idea to, at the goal line, play action, fake it to Marshawn Lynch. Everyone in the stadium thinks you're going to hand it off to him, so you don't. <laughs> and then... That's fine. I think I think personally, I think it's fine to do that on first down. But what's not fine is when it's not there, or at least if Derek Carrier, a tight end that Derek Carr believed was open, you, if you're going to miss, you miss high. You don't miss while throwing it through the lane right to defensive end Melvin Ingram, who was a linebacker on that play. And so um, there's times where I think understandably Derek Carr is pressing, um, but it's one part of a larger issue where just defensively, uh, the Raiders are being put in bad spots. Um, you know, long drives are being allowed. Raiders only had the ball three times in the second half, which I think is part of the reason you didn't see Melvin or Marshawn Lynch be too involved this past Sunday. Uh, they want to have more possessions. They want to certainly control the clock late in games. And so uh, defensively is, to me, a bigger question mark than what's going on on offense. I think the Raiders offense has shown with Derek Carr that when they have a short field, they can capitalize on it. There have been three times this season where the Raiders have started an opponent territory and they got two touchdowns and one field goal on those three possessions. And so it's a question of can this defense, which I hate to mention Khalil Mack because he's gone and it is what it is. You got to move on with what you have, but let's face it without Khalil Mack, this defense just, isn't affecting the quarterback enough and it just seems like they're out of sync they're unable to really impose their will and when they blitz uh, we saw a lot of short passes be a screen or a short flare into the flat where the Raiders were giving up a lot of long plays and that's been a prolonged issue this season is just those explosive plays and so there's a lot going on with this team right now there's a lot to sort out uh it's it's there's so much to sort out that uh to to, sur- so, to turn it back to where we started uh, playoffs isn't what is on the minds necessarily here when they're sitting with a, a one and four record. Yeah. And you mentioned the injuries and things earlier that were going on with the team. And one that just popped up is again on defense, a defensive end, Frosty Rucker. He has a neck issue. So that's more for that line to struggle with. Uh, you have, you know, Mark Lee. I think he's one of the great linebackers that they have right now, but I hate to say it, he's just not a replacement for anybody like Khalil Mack. I don't think that there is anyone. He's just one of those special, very talented players. And again, he's going to be missed. And I remember before their uh, game here with the Chargers, we had talked about how much more uh, pass rush uh, Khalil Mack had had versus the entire Raiders defensive unit. So, And and there was something that I I believe he had one sack more than the entire team had as a whole. So that was something that the Raiders um, definitely are lacking in. There is no pressure. And when you have a quarterback like last week where they're facing Phillip Rivers, who just has time in the pocket to sit there and, and call his shots, 
that's going to be a struggle for anyone when you're facing somebody like that at the NFL level. But you go into the injuries again, and I think that that's a lot to do with everything. I mean, you look at Marshawn Lynch. I think you wrote, Michael, that he has four injuries now in addition to his hip. There's his groin. He has a problem there. He's got his shoulder that's been keeping him as a limited participant and his abdomen. So he's really banged up, and he's been taking, again, a bulk of the offense. And, Gilbert, you touched on the fact that this game – it could be one uh, in the running game, especially with conditions here in London. It may be a very rainy day. There's going to be a lot of dew on that field. And again, the field I think here is a lot thicker than what players are used to being on. So getting your footing is going to be very different on both sides of the ball. And uh, the Raiders and Seahawks, last time they faced each other, the Seahawks took the win. It was 17 to 13. So I wonder how much, um, you know, between these two teams and the meetings that they go through, how much the London factor is going to have on the two of them. But most importantly, when we're looking at this team, this Raiders team, Gilbert, um, do you see that there's any one player really that is going to be a guy that needs to put the pressure on Russell Wilson or Russell Wilson will have a day just like Phillip Rivers where he's calling his shots down the field? <laughs> yeah, how about Rivers calling the, the base defense on the Raiders a week ago? That's kind of embarrassing. And, yeah. and telling his tight end where to go. <laughs> yeah. But, but, yeah, this defense is, uh, I don't I don't want to say a no-hoper defense, but it's, it's, it's not looking well right now for the Raiders. Uh, but how about Bruce Irvin? This guy got paid big money uh, to come join, I know, to, to help out Kalua Mack, but he was he's supposed to be a guy who's supposed to be a pro bowler type of player. Uh, he hasn't gotten much production. I know everybody needs help. But, yeah, Bruce Irvin also used to be a former Seahawk. Maybe he wants to have a good game against his former team. Um, I expect him to have a, at least, you know, a good game. And, and we forget that the Seahawks don't have a good offensive line. We just, you know, it's one of the worst in football. But with the Raiders being so banged up, they might even have an advantage when it comes to the O-line because at least they have, uh, you know, healthy bodies that the, the, the Raiders don't. So, And then when you, if you do get close to Russ Wilson – he makes you know the most out of nothing. He's one of the best uh, quarterbacks in the league to create something out of nothing. He could scramble. Uh, he could go up for a run. He he's, he's a wizard out there in, in the pocket. So you know, keeping on with Russell Wilson is going to be tough. I don't think this could be a game for the the Raiders' pass rush to get going. And also too, I know we mentioned the running game being a key factor, but the Russell Wilson and, and Tyler Lockett, they, they, when it comes to the deep ball, they have it down. Uh, each time uh, Tyler Lockett gets the ball, he's averaging seventeen point three yards per reception. So this secondary that's kind of, you know, they got burned badly by uh, Keenan Allen and, and the guys there in, in L.A. They could have a long day against Tyler Lockett and Doug Baldwin, so I, I'm not expecting a good performance from the Raiders' defense. Yeah, and Doug Baldwin back, and this is a big matchup for him as well. I feel like he's somebody that has been, I guess, overlooked or in the offense just because he came out this season and got injured right away. So people kind of forgot about him as a weapon. I don't think the Raiders are going to forget about him when they're preparing their game and how to prepare. But I do like the fact that they may be kind of readjusting at defensive back with Daryl Royley in the mix. And you also have um, Rashawn Melvin on the other side and Gary on Connolly. What happens to him in the mix, Michael? with those two kind of becoming like the duo on the outside? Well, we'll see how long the Raiders are going to be continue to rotating corners. By and large, they have employed a three-man rotation at outside corner when Daryl Worley was serving his four-game suspension. And that rotation was comprised of, with, you know, Leon Hall in the, in the nickel, 
Uh, on the outside, you had Daryl Worley, you had Garon Conley, and you had Dominic Rogers Cromartie. And now with Worley back, we saw him lead all Raiders cornerbacks in snaps against the L.A. Chargers, something that defensive coordinator Paul Gunther and Coach John Gruden have said in unison is that at some point this season, ideally sooner rather than later, they will identify who their outside corners are and ride them throughout the course of a game. Now, of course, that might mean that a couple of guys will be left on the outside looking in. And right now, you look at the way that the snaps have been differentiated. Uh, when Worley is here, and you would project that as soon as Sunday, the Raiders are going to rely predominantly on Daryl Worley and Rashawn Melvin as their outside corners while still find a way to work in Dominic Rogers, Camardi, and Gary on Conley. It's something how Conley is not part of that top of the mix. You would think, given the 2017 first-round pick, is the only one of the Raiders' five cornerbacks who's played this season. Um, the only one of those five who's actually under contract next season. It's Garyon Conley and fourth-round pick Nick Nelson. Those are the only two guys who will be around next year, and, and Nelson hasn't really played much at all. And yet, Conley is being somewhat redshirted almost. It seems kind of like what the Raiders have in mind anyway, even though Conley has played so much so far. They want to ease off of him a little bit. They want to kind of ease him in little by little and just kind of guide him along as a rookie who's just gaining confidence. And, you know, I know he had that mistake in coverage where he allowed a 48-yard reception to Tyrell Williams when the Chargers were starting near their own goal line. Uh, but nonetheless, I think Garon Conley has shown a lot of ability as a young player. you got to think that at some point they're going to rely on him. But right now, it does look like Worley and Melvin are the favorite corners in the Raiders' rotation should that rotation continue. Here's where you have to be a bit forgiving with Gary Conley. He did score the Raiders' first pick six since <laughs> Khalil Mack did it in 2016. So, And, and I believe it was his first career uh, interception taken back for a pick six. So for him, that was, I think, a really big moment. And that happened against the Browns. And I think that when you take that into consideration, he's one of the guys that did something on defense, even though he has had a few faults in coverage. But I think that, again, will come with time but, getting but, more but Heidi, Heidi, I think you're forgetting that Garon Conlin got drafted by Reggie McKenzie. So anybody drafted McKenzie and not Gruden, they will not play. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> All right, and with that, I think it's time that we take a look at the matchup ahead, make our predictions on our picks, because I think I did pretty good last week, guys. I picked correctly, though the score I had was way off. I was expecting the Raiders to score a bit more and for the game to be a shootout. I was treating it like a Raiders home game, though I did give the charges an advantage uh, with the score and the, and the final win. So right now I'm 1-0 as far as my picks go on this podcast. Nice. Yeah, so I'm going to let you two pick first, and then I'll let you know what I'm doing. <laughs> Michael, I'll go first because I I, I took a, a big L a week ago, so I should go first for being a loser a week ago. I, I picked the Raiders. I was, <laughs> I was fooled by that 45-point performance against the Browns. I do not know what I was thinking, so let me go first here, uh, Michael, if that's okay with you. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, let, all right, so I'm three and two. Uh, I think Michael's four and one, so I need to catch up. I I, I have a feeling we're going to go the same route, but uh, I'm not going to be fooled again. I'm not going with the Raiders. I'm going with the Seattle Seahawks in London. Uh, I kind of wish this game was in Seattle for Marshall. I'm going back home, uh, but it's in London. It's going to be a, a low-scoring affair. So let's go 17-13 for the Seahawks over the Raiders. Michael, what is your pick? This is a difficult 
pick for me. I haven't quite made up my mind yet. And where the issue is, where I'm really having a tough time because I want to pick the Raiders, it's just hard to do that when you know what the offensive line looks like physically. Left tackle Colton Miller, uh, multiple sacks last Sunday. And while people may want to criticize him for that, I can't help but just you know give him credit for that he was even on the field in the first place, dealing with what I'm told is a grade two MCL sprain. Very easy for, based on that diagnosis, based on the nature of that injury, for Colt Miller to have shut it down for a couple of weeks to get well and come back after the bye. But instead, he gutted through that injury. It was impressive, but still, he's not past that injury yet. So that continues into Sunday at Wembley Stadium. Left guard, Kelechi Semele. we've talked about him. He's got the right knee injury as well. It's questionable whether or not he's going to play this game. If he doesn't, John Feliciano is a tremendous backup. Feliciano is the type of backup that has allowed Osemele not to play through it, which is not a luxury that Miller shares. There really isn't a capable backup at left tackle for the Raiders. So uh, if it's Feliciano at left guard, you're going to have center Ronnie Hudson, who's dealing with a week one ankle injury, still a problem for him. At right guard, you have Gabe Jackson, who's dealing with a week one pectoral injury, still a problem for him. And then a right tackle, a rookie third-round pick out of North Carolina A&T, Brandon Parker. This will be a second career start. That's a lot. And so I started this bit of a monologue not having an answer in mind because I, I do want to pick the Raiders. I, I just don't know if I can get my head around it uh, given the issues up front. Raiders weren't able to manage 300 total yards of offense last week, in part because their defense didn't get their, their offense back onto the field in the second half. I don't know if the defense is going to get better, any better anytime soon. Um, so uh, despite my attempt to pick the Raiders, I'm going to say 17-14 <laughs> Seahawks win, which is a shame because 1-5 is not good. No team has ever started 1-5 and, and made it to the Super Bowl. Jeez. What a curveball, Michael. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was uh, listening there to the myriad of injuries that the team has sustained. And, you gosh, it's just – it's a very unfortunate thing for that to happen, especially when it's early in the season and you can't get the guys there that you want to be able to plug in at any given time that you think are going to be available for the whole season. Unfortunately, that is the game of football. For me, I'm going to also keep this as a low-scoring affair. I'm going to have it at 14-10, and I'm going to give it to the Seahawks as well. So here on the Vegas Nation podcast, we have a sweep for the Seahawks. Whoa. Nobody going with the Raiders. Negative podcast. Uh, yeah. <laughs> An unfortunate thing here, um, you know, that all of us are going along and, and picking them just because, you know, again, like Michael said, you want to see the underdog pull through. You want to see that one and four team get another win in the column just for the morale of the team, just for going through that locker room and seeing somebody hold their head high. Unfortunately, I don't think that that's going to happen. Again, final score, 14-10 for the Seahawks on my end. Again, Wembley Stadium, where the game will be held this week. Thank you, everyone, for listening here to the Vegas Nation podcast brought to you by your Southern Nevada Toyota dealer. Again, you can keep up with every episode weekly by subscribing on iTunes. Don't forget to check us out on Twitter at gmonzano24 for Gilbert Manzano. For Michael Gelkin, at Gelkin NFL. And for me, I am at Heidi Fang on Twitter. And we will bring you coverage from the game next week. We'll recap all that went down between the Seahawks and the Raiders here in London. And also keep up with all the articles and coverage on ReviewJournal.com. Thank you for listening.